The word today is from Acts 18, verses 1 through 17. This is the word of God. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they, see, they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. This is the word of God. May be seated. I will take responsibility for the words for verses 12 through 17 not being on the screen. And if that's the worst thing that happens today, we got it made, right? Um, last week, Cato challenged us to memorize scripture. And I thought about it this week, and I remembered uh, the scriptures that I have to memory. Most of them are because I learned them as songs. Um, preparing for this Sunday, I've spoken here a few times before. This, this week seemed a little weightier than normal, and I don't know why. But I had somebody tell me to let go and let God, so that's what I'm going to do. But to calm my spirit... I'm going to do something that uh, I used to do all the time. And that's sing. And I'm going to sing a scripture for you today. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Unto thee, O Lord. 
Do I lift up my soul, O oh my God? I will trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. That's my prayer today, to trust in him and not let the enemy triumph over us today. God is in control. The glasses are going to go up and down. I'm too naive to wear bifocals, but uh, maybe next time. We're going to concentrate on the first 11 verses. That's why that's all the verses that were on the screen today. And uh, Kelly, thank you for, uh, for reading that for us today. The gospel in modern-day culture. Today's passage in Acts, we see Paul's missionary journey to Corinth. We want to like it, look at two patterns First, it's Paul's pattern in verses 1 through 6. And second, God's pattern or providence in verses 7 through 11. I'm going to break down each pattern into three points. Let's dive right in. The first point is Paul's pattern is the city. And we see it in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So we see here that Paul has just left Athens and made his way to Corinth. These cities were about 46 miles apart. Paul had a strategy. He would go from city to city, hubs of commerce and trade, culture and education and politics. His pattern was to go to the city, preach the gospel in the synagogue. If and when it was rejected by the Jews, he would go to the Gentiles and preach until he had community of believers. Then he would establish a church and put leaders in place. At this point, he would go to another city and repeat the same process. Paul had great success with this pattern. But what motivated Paul to go from city to city, subjecting himself to ridicule, mocking, starvation, even beatings? I think his words to the Romans best sum it up in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, he he states, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's interesting. Paul went from persecuting Christians, going from city to city, persecuting Christians, and now he's going from city to city to establish churches, and to pronounce and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, to me, is amazing. This is the same Paul who said before his conversion, this cross is foolishness. Now he's all in, proclaiming that God is reconciling himself to the world through Jesus Christ. This is Paul's motivation. So why Corinth? Well, unlike Athens, the place there, a city that he just left, Corinth had over 500,000 people. It was a great commercial center of the Greco-Roman world. It was located in the southern end of the Isthmus, which is a land bridge about three miles wide. It connected the mainland from Greece with the Peloponnese Peninsula. There were trade routes in all directions, north and south, east and west. Ships would dock near Corinth 
on the Gulf of uh, Corinth, and ships would dock on the Saronic Gulf on the other side. And that land bridge, those ships, and that supplies would be caravaned from one port to the other. Kind of think of the Panama Canal. Panama Canal is a lot bigger. It's about 50 miles instead of three, but that connected the Pacific Ocean from the, to the Atlantic. Corinth was a flourishing city of political power and commerce, but it also was a place of sexual immorality. The word Corinthian was a slur term in the first century for sexually immoral. Behind the city, 2,000 feet above sea level, is the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. There were 1,000 slaves that served her and roamed the streets by night as prostitutes. So, Paul saw here an opportunity in this city of commerce and urban environment, the great possibilities for the gospel. All these people coming and going in and out of the city, part of them had to be excited because of so much potential, but at the same time, being beat up by the sin and debauchery and evil. There was incredible brokenness, but at the same time, there was incredible need. That's why Paul went to Corinth. How many of you are native Charlotteans? Not many of us. How many people have been here over 40 years? 40 years and you're 30 years old. That's really good. I didn't say four. I said 14. I guess I need to speak a little clearer. I wondered when somebody under 40 said they were. Um, but that's good. Do you know that there are 114 people moving to the city of Charlotte, North Carolina every day? That's over 40,000 people a year. I remember uh, when I came home from college in the mid-'80s, that'll tell you about how old I am, um, coming to church in this building. And uh, there was a couple that came in. They were driving a red pickup truck, and they had WV in their windshield. They had come down I-77 looking for work and jobs, and they had moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. Yay, West Virginia. There we go. We got somebody here from West Virginia. Amen. The, um, through me. Um, but uh, since I was a kid, Charlotte has become not only a major banking center, professional sports teams have come into the city. It's centrally located between the Northeast and New York City, all the way down to Miami uh, in the South. And because of this, it's become a destination for trade and commerce trade and commerce all up and down the eastern coast. Now, the downside of this centrality on the east coast and being the place of trade and commerce, we have the, some of the same issues that Corinth had. We've also seen our share of sex trafficking. Charlotte is number one in North Carolina. I-85 is a major corridor, and we are ninth in the U.S. for sex trafficking. Many of you know the story behind what brought Life Church to Charlotte. 
God-led life church to plant here in Charlotte, North Carolina, because when they looked at the map of North Carolina, they saw nine of the ten most lost pockets in North Carolina were in Charlotte, North Carolina. Our intention at Life Church is the same as Paul's, to go into the city and bring transformation. Thank you, Jonathan, for, for that presentation. That's part of what we do to transform the city around us. We want to have such incredible transformation that Charlotte can become known as a city of revival and awakening to the people of Jesus. John Stott, in his commentary of Acts, had this insight. The process of urbanization is a significant new fact for this century. This was written last century. It constitutes a great challenge to the Christian church. On the one hand, there is an urgent need for Christian planners, architects, local government politicians, urban specialists, developers, community social workers who will work for justice, peace, freedom, and beauty in the cities. On the other hand, Christians need to move into the cities and experience pains and pressures of living there in order to win city dwellers for Christ. Community Christianity is no substitute for incarnational involvement. We want to strategically bring the gospel where it is most needed. That's why Life Church is here. As an aside, growing up in this church, I can recall two or three times that this building right here, as it got older and as the population changed around us, there were church leaders that had the idea that we needed to sell the property and move to the suburbs. I wasn't one of those people. I knew God could use this property for his kingdom. Mr. Marsh, Marsh Properties, owns a lot of the housing that is around here. In the 1950s, he realized and knew that a church needed to be in this community. The property we own was the home place of Marsh's parents. He traded the property with the church so that the church could be built here in the center of the property that he owned. God knew this property needed to be here. He brought, he brought up leaders in the church over these years to make sure that those men that wanted to move and sell this property where it couldn't be used for God anymore, that it would be here for me today and for you to spread the gospel as we have with Queen City and the other pop-ups and outreaches that we have. This community needs Jesus. Amen. Second point of Paul's pattern is the community. And we see it in verses 2 and 3. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Paul wasn't a lone wolf. Paul was a team member. He did his ministry as a team. He needed community. 
just like everyone else. When he was isolated in jail, he longed for companionship. First thing he does in Corinth is he seeks out two Christians that are already there, Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife. This couple is mentioned several times in the Bible and always together. Paul couldn't think of one without the other. Sometimes Priscilla is listed first, later in this chapter of Acts, twice, by Paul and other letters. Her inclusion provides another example of how godly women have played significant roles throughout church history. Also, this is a reminder that there's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, but all are one in Christ. The Holy Spirit gifts equally men and women to participate in God's kingdom work. They were a team, and they were equally important. Over time, they not only opened their home to Paul, but others as well. In an age when the focus is mostly on what happens between a husband and a wife, Aquila and Priscilla are examples of what can happen through a husband and a wife. Their effectiveness together is a result of their good relationship with each other. Their hospitality opened the doorway of salvation to so many. They had a Christ-centered passion and were excellent co-workers in Christ Jesus. The Christian home is still one of the best tools for spreading the gospel. My prayer is that Life Church is full of homes that are doing this as well. Aquila and Priscilla not only opened their home to Paul, but the business too. They opened their business to him as well. Before Paul could establish a church that could meet his needs financially, he was able to support himself. Now, Paul argued that those who preach the gospel should be supported by the gospel. But he also says in 1 Thessalonians 2.9, For remember, brother, our labor and toil, we work night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim you the gospel of God. Paul was willing to work. He worked hard. He worked with his hands when it was necessary, and he didn't do it alone. Just like Paul, we need others. We need the church. Now, church isn't what we're doing right now. It's not what we do on Sunday. It's what we do as a community throughout the week. We don't go to church. We are the church. Amen? The essence of the Christian life is restoration of right relationship. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. We are made for relationship, beginning in Genesis. What does sin do? It destroys relationship. God sent his son to restore a right relationship with him. This is evidence that's played out by having a right relationship with each other. The first step in evangelism is this, that we will know that we'll, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. We need intentional life together around the person of Jesus. 
My favorite animal, my wife knows this, is the otter. Ever since I was in elementary school, was tasked with writing a report on an animal, I chose the otter. Do you know what a group of resting sea otter is called? No, this is a raft. And let me explain why. Researchers have seen the cuddle is the, the group name, correct? But when they get together in the, in the ocean, they will gather as much as a thousand together, holding hands, floating together. To keep from drifting away from each other they, while they sleep, they wrap themselves in seaweed, forming something that resembles a raft. That's why when you see the, the National Geographic, you'll see them on there. They're in, looks like huge bodies of stuff in the water. It's, it's the sea otter. But I like that example. They're holding hands. That's what we're to do. We're in this together. If it's good enough for the otter, then it's good enough for us. We might even want to start calling our life groups rafts. <laughs> in all seriousness, community is integral to us as Christians. If you're not part of a group, I strongly encourage you to join one this week. Let's move to the third point, to Paul's pattern. The cross, verses 4 and 5. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So Paul's pattern was to go to the city, establish community, and to preach the gospel. He was going to the synagogue as usual. He's preaching the scriptures, showing them that Jesus was the Messiah and how he had to suffer, how he rose from the dead. But what happens when this gospel is rejected? When we proclaim the gospel, we're not responsible for how people respond. We're called to be witnesses. When the gospel goes forth, it will make people uncomfortable or it will draw them to it. Jesus calls us to be a visible community for him. We are to make visible what God has done invisibly within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Falling in love with Jesus means we share that love with others. What we do with our hands and feet needs to correspond with what we do and say. Now, some people are all action and no words. Others are all words and no action. We need the Holy Spirit to help us discern when to do which, a balance of word and deed. Now, when Paul found resistance to the message, what did he do? He just moved on. So when we face rejection, what drives us? 
I believe what drove Jeremiah drove Paul as well and drives us too. Jeremiah 29 states, If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. If you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, you can't keep it in. you got to let it out. This is what drove Paul. When we grow tired, weary, discouraged with rejection, there's within my heart a burning fire. We'll pick up the pace a little bit. We're going to get into now what I uh, termed God's pattern or God's providence. The first point is the providence of God, verses 7 and 8. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed, and were baptized. Amen. Here we see God's provision. Paul loses his place of worship. But when God closes one door or allows the door to be closed, he opens another. He opened another door for, for, for Paul to preach. Not across town, not another city, not the suburbs, but in a house right next door to the synagogue. Not only that, but the ruler of the synagogue got saved and his entire family. I mentioned earlier the story of Life Church coming to Charlotte, and I want to share with you now the providence of God after arriving. This building we're in was built in 1960, and I became a part of that church a couple years later. In 2018, the congregation here had dwindled to less than 30 people. Our pastor met with a life church pastor at a pastor's luncheon in January of that year. And the second time, they met again in May at another luncheon and were paired together on a bus to ride around Charlotte and pray for the city. God put them on the same seat. They began a conversation. I believe God's providential precision was there for those two men to meet because the long story short is, they met two days later. I had lunch with them, and less than two months later, the church that was here voted unanimously to gift the facilities to Life Church and join them in the ministry of the Jesus Christ. To quote Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God supplies all our needs. My own life has many stories of providence of God. One of them is uh, how Joyce and I met. Joyce is my wife. God placed her right across the street from this very church in 1988. She was paying $330 rent a month. Don't we wish we had that still, huh? Her brother and sister all got saved. God prompted them to come to Charlotte and bring her here. I praise God that I have Joyce as my Priscilla to my Aquila. 
Thank you, Joyce. Only God. The story of how God gifted Joyce and I with our kids. I could go on, and I'm not going to go into them now, but if you want to hear some providential stories of God, uh, as Jonathan says, take me to coffee or lunch. <laughs> take me. I might even buy. Who knows? Uh, the second point for God's pattern is the promise of God. Verses 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. As followers of Christ, we don't need to fear man because the sovereign king cares for us. In Psalm 56, the psalmist says, When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Then my enemies will turn back in the days when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Praise God for that psalmist. Paul has three promises in, this, in these verses here given to him. First, God tells him, I am with you. Do not be afraid. Speak. Do not be silent. These are the same words that God spoke to Moses and Joshua and Jeremiah and the other prophets of the Old Testament. The second promise, no one will attack or harm you. I think of the verse Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The third promise, Paul is assured of the Lord's sovereignty in salvation. I have many people in this city who are mine. What is God's desire? What is his plan what is God's purpose for this church in his church? 1 Timothy 2.4 Who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth? It's our job to borrow some of those bracelets and spread and share the gospel. God is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Paul received God's encouragement. The Holy Spirit within us gives us the same assurance and encouragement, and he will never leave us or forsake us. The third point to God's pattern is participation with God. God calls me and you to participate with him. Verse 11, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This was unusual. Paul normally established the church, established the leaders, and was pretty much gone shortly after that. Here he stayed for a year and a half. We always need, when studying the Scriptures, a right balance between God's agency and human activity. We need to remember that God's righteousness is not only active in the call, but it's 
also in the response. What gives me encouragement to proclaim the gospel? I believe Jesus' words in John 12, 32. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He's called you and I to lift him up so that people will be drawn to him, that will be drawn to the life-giving gospel. I believe that the gospel is God's redemptive purposes for his creation and that everything we do as the church must declare God so loved the world. This is the call on our lives. When we make plans, we must understand God's providence undergirding them. Last verse of scripture I want to share today comes from Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul's pattern was to go to the city, to create community, bring people to Christ, proclaim the gospel. God's pattern or God's providence is to be there for us, to be working behind the scenes and undergirding us with his power, with his promises, so that we can participate in victory with him. My challenge to you today is to surrender to that challenge. Yield to him. He's done it all. All he wants is you and me.